Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me this week in our Arizona Capitol Bureau are... Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Yvonne Winget Sanchez, state political reporter. Dan Nowicki, national political reporter. This week on The Gaggle, the school voucher referendum clears a key hurdle, and the two Democrats running for governor face off in their first debate. But first, President Donald Trump was in town, and we look at his impact on Arizona politics of the moment. Dan Nowicki, you were there inside the Phoenix Convention Center, and sort of one of the the stories or one of the things we were closely watching was how the president would uh, act toward Senator Jeff Flake. Uh, He's a fellow Republican. They've had this long-running feud, and some were expecting that he might endorse his Republican challenger, Kelly Ward. What happened? Right. Well, Trump obviously uh, is under some pressure to back off his uh, his grudge against Jeff Flake and John McCain. He sort of acknowledged it by saying he'd been told not to mention anybody by name. So he he went after McCain and Flake without mentioning their names, but of course did it in a way that the crowd absolutely knew who he was talking about and got pretty worked up about it. Uh, Kelly Ward was at the event. She and her volunteers were working the crowd. It was very hot outside, but they were carrying placards, wearing stickers, wearing T-shirts. Uh, those didn't make it into the inside the venue, and she has to be a little bit disappointed that uh, Trump didn't use the occasion to endorse her explicitly or allow her up on the stage or give her a speaking slot or anything like that. So you mentioned some pressure for Trump to use more decorum toward his fellow Republicans in the Senate. Where's this pressure coming from? Well, uh, certainly uh, in the Senate, the the GOP leaders there, starting with Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, have made it pretty clear that they're siding with Jeff Flake. And they're worried that Trump is undermining a couple of Republican incumbents, not just Flake and McCain, but also Dean Heller in Nevada. And when they control the chamber with only a 52-vote majority, that can really make a difference. So the National Republican Senatorial Committee, which is the arm of the party that works to elect Republicans to the Senate, also is backing Flake. Mitch McConnell's uh, super PAC actually launched a broadside against Kelly Ward, uh, running a, an online ad that really takes her to task, uh, says she has uh, bizarre judgment and the like. So they're actually taking up arms on behalf of Flake. And so Trump's obviously got that message. He's considering it and in, in his own in his own style, he's going to do his own thing while, while kind of letting people know that uh, he'll go along a little bit with uh, what they're saying. This ad that you referenced coming from Mitch McConnell and his center, Senate leadership pack, the timing of that seemed not coincidental coming right before this rally when, you know, there was a speculation that Trump might just load up his blunderbuss and point it right at Jeff Flake. And, you know, he's saying, like, we've got his back. That's how I read that. Right. Certainly uh, the Flake folks were expecting an all-out assault at this rally. So all in all, by certainly by Donald Trump's standards, uh, Flake got off a little easy. Uh, he didn't, you know, Trump did mock him, noted that nobody knows who the hell Flake is, but didn't really, you know, stick with him very long. Didn't, didn't launch a prolonged attack on him from the stage. Trump on Wednesday morning, you know, maybe overnight, 
kind of came to the conclusion that he was a little easy on Flake as well, and he tweeted another uh, slap at Flake. Uh, he kind of showed restraint there, too. He repeated uh, the attack on Flake as weak on crime and weak on the borders, and also noted that he is no fan of Flake. So his other Republican rival in the state, or high-profile one, is Senator John McCain. Did uh, Trump take aim at him? Right, yeah. Uh, Senator McCain, obviously... Uh, undergoing treatment for brain cancer. He just finished his first round of chemotherapy. Nonetheless, uh, Trump uh, took shots at him over his, his vote on, in late July to torpedo the GOP health care effort. Uh, again, Trump uh, didn't mention McCain's name. He didn't have to. He mentioned that they were one vote away, and the people in the uh, Phoenix Convention Center should talk to their senator about it. Everybody knew what he was talking about. Also did not mention his illness. Okay, we're going to play a game we usually play when Trump comes to town. Who was there and who was not there? That's kind of the more key indicator here. Who was not there among Republicans that we would have expected to be there, Yvonne? Sheriff Joe Arpaio and Governor Doug Ducey. Neither one were there, both were there in spirit, perhaps. And why is that? What kind of explanations did we get for both of their absence? I know uh, the, the former sheriff is an early supporter of Trump. Uh, seems to be a, a fellow traver, traveler politically on, on issues like immigration and sort of this uh, flair for showmanship. Uh, Arpaio has pink under, underwear. Uh, Trump has red hats, that, that kind of thing. Uh, but Ducey, I mean, he is the uh, Republican uh, chief executive of the state. Not being there with the sitting president is noteworthy. It is noteworthy. And a former businessman former CEO. And this is, you know, a, a resume line that people are pointing out, you know, this should be the type of people, uh, the type of person who would who would join Trump. He did greet him on the tarmac, but uh, planned to monitor the events um, from the emergency operations center uh, for a time. And uh, we understand he left there kind of earlier, early in the evening. And then I'm not sure where he went. I couldn't get um, an answer as to as to where he was and what type of updates he was getting throughout the night. Uh, he was supposed to have been getting updates from his team and his agency directors. Uh, so stay tuned for what those looked like. So, Ron, Yvonne mentions that, that Sheriff Joe Arpaio was not there. I mean, one of the things coming into this that we were watching for was whether the president would pardon him. He was uh, uh, convicted of contempt of court for ignoring a court order to essentially stop racially profiling Latinos in, in his office's patrols. Why wasn't he there and what happened? I think that the president was probably uh, uh, talked out of a uh, making a bigger spectacle of it than what he might have otherwise wanted to do. Uh, the sheriff was not there. There was no formal pronouncement or promise that uh, he would get clemency, but gosh, it's hard to imagine it that he won't after the president's remarks. So the the suspense is sort of uh, already over. Uh, like much of the speech, it felt like the president was sort of ad-libbing and just going with his gut on this issue like others. And uh, it's clear that he intends to uh, give a pardon to the sheriff. And regardless of whatever the optics had been planned going into the event, that uh, this was something that he just couldn't resist once he got in front of the uh, the crowd. 
he asked him, uh, what do we think? Do we like Joe? Do we love Joe? Some, right, something right. along those lines. And, uh, of course that that's, uh, the Joe Arpaio base in there is the Trump base. I think those, the Venn diagram of those is just a circle. I would be pretty <laughs> sure. That's, uh, pro- that's probably about right. Uh, and I hope that's all the math we're going to do at this podcast. <laughs> so, so talk a bit about the pardon process, Ron, you looked into that a bit and, and how, it re- how some Arizonans have, uh, uh, benefited from this in the past. What did you see? What did you learn? Well, before Joe Arpaio, certainly the most prominent uh, recipient of presidential clemency would have to be Governor Fife Symington uh, under uh, President Bill Clinton on his last day in office. Um, the, the others that are on that list are utterly forgettable, which is really sort of the story of presidential clemency historically. Most of the recipients are pretty anonymous, forgettable criminals who got caught up in something for one reason or another or demonstrated enough good behavior while they were incarcerated that uh, they were deemed worthy of uh, a pardon or or, uh, commutation. And so these are names that we wouldn't know. And there's been sort of a trend for uh, at least 40 years away from clemency in all its forms by presidents, both Democratic and Republican, uh, broadly. Um, And certainly there's been uh, a very clear avoidance of clemency in the first year in office. So what's interesting in the Joe Arpaio case is the idea that the president would intervene with someone who is sort of a high-profile case, do it early in his tenure, um, in, in a case that really is sort of uh, begging for more scrutiny. So th- this one really kind of breaks the mold and would be very different from nearly all the Arizona cases that, that I could find anyway. Before we leave uh, Trump as a topic, Dan, I just want to ask you what, you know, he's been to the state. This was his eighth visit, as well, first as sitting president, but his eighth time here since he ran for president. What has been in that time, in that two years, his impact on Arizona politics that that you think will endure? Like if we're looking back on this five years from now, we'll say, yeah, that that's a Trump fingerprint on Arizona politics. Well, like you mentioned earlier, Trump's a divisive figure, even among Republicans. So it's kind of interesting that Trump really f- seems to feel a connection with Arizona. I think he thinks Arizona was pretty instrumental in his rise to the you know front of the pack in 2015 when he was just announced as a a candidate for president and a lot of people didn't give him much of a chance of winning the nomination but on the other hand uh, he really exposes the rift in the state republican party where you have mccain and flake the two incumbent republican senators you know feuding with him Um, you have somebody like doug ducey the governor who's trying to you know be diplomatic and you know meet him at the meet him at, at the tarmac but not go to the rally and these kind of calculations so in the end uh, it'll be interesting to see if it's a positive or negative impact on the state republican party here Yvonne, you've been reporting on the effort uh, to put the school voucher referendum on the November 2018 ballot, and they cleared an important hurdle. Is it going to make the ballot? All indications point to 
Yes, at least. Magic eight ball. Yeah, they're at least going to make it, it appears, through the signature uh, verification and certification process. There are several fights that look like they had to be had in the courtroom. So we'll see um, how those are decided upon. And what's the timeline for it? The county recorders have a random sample that the Secretary of State has sent them. Uh, I think they have a little over a week to uh, review the signatures. They'll report back to the Secretary of State's office. And I think that will be the final time that uh, state and county elections officials can um, weigh in as to whether or not this thing is going gonna, is gonna to go or not. The Secretary of State's office thinks that they will have an answer within the next couple of weeks. So Ron asked that there be no more math on this uh, podcast, but I, I'm gonna, I just want to get in the weeds just a touch on this. So uh, they, there are 111,000, uh, Dan Nowicki's grimacing at me, there are 111,000 roughly signatures they got, and they said uh, a certain percentage were like valid. Or invalid. They said only 3% were invalid. And then they take a sampling from the valid signatures, send those to the county clerks. They check them against the, their, their role of voters to see if they're legit. They come up with a percentage of their own. What do they do? Average all 14 of those things? Yeah, see, I see, Ron, I, there shouldn't have been more math on this thing. We're already. But anyway, based on, based on what they find on, on the validation rate, they, they make the decision. Is that is that correct? Yeah. The, the, the Secretary of State's office said that they can afford to lose 30 percent of the 5,200 signatures that were sent to the county recorders, which falls in line with what other uh, initiatives and referendum have have uh, hit that that margin. So their expectation is that they're going to pass that test uh, and uh, save our schools now. Crowd feels very good. They're not celebrating in the streets yet. Uh, but the American Federation for Children, this is the group that is fighting uh, the referendum and helped advocate for the bill last session. They, they sound as though they're really confident too, and they are hoping to get all of the signatures thrown out based on a, a technicality which involves the description of the session that um, actually passed the legislation. So again, that's something that's outside of the hands of um, state elections officials, and so that's going to play out in court. So uh, the two Democrats running for governor in 2018 had their first debate. Yvonne, you were there. How'd they look? They size each other up? They did size each other up, and they had about 1,200 Democrats sizing them up there, too. Uh, as well as Governor Doug Ducey's team from afar. They were kind of monitoring uh, the, the Twitter sphere for how this thing was playing out. They both came out, um, you know, ready to talk about their agendas. Um, one of them, David Garcia, uh, I will name him, got some criticism uh, by some people who thought that he didn't come out as forcefully on some issues as they would have liked to have seen. It, it took some pressing to get him to... Um, explain how he would um, fall on on raising revenue to, to help pay for public education. Uh, Farley just said, Steve Farley, he's the senator who's running, he, he just came out and said what his position uh, was, and the crowd seemed to like that. They did like Garcia's passion uh, 
Others said they thought that Farley might have been a little too policy wonkish, although um, he seemed to also get emotional and passionate about his stances. So we talk a lot about uh, some rifts in the Republican Party. Democrats also are trying to figure out what direction they're headed. Did you get any sense from the crowd there what they want from their candidate? Do they want more Bernie Sanders style, let's have a free college and things like that? Or is it more, oh, we've got to run to the center if we want to win in a state like Arizona? I got more of the run to the center reaction from people. Um, I think they are looking for someone who uh, will give them kind of reassurance about what might be happening nationally. Um, They're looking for someone who is steady, uh, able to take on Governor Doug Ducey, who is uh, a moderate Republican, will be well-funded. They hope to have a candidate who will be taken seriously during the general election and will actually have a shot at trying to unseat him. For a final segment, what are you watching for this week, Ron Hansen? One of the things the president made reference to uh, in his speech in Phoenix involved uh, funding for the border wall and and sort of uh, how central that is to his wish list and even taking it to the point of uh, threatening a government shutdown if money is not included for the border wall. So I'm interested in uh, how our delegation views that. Is this something that they see as that important? Uh, And of course it comes at a time when they're already looking at other urgent deadlines, namely raising the debt ceiling uh, to avoid default. That's coming in mid-October. That's right. Dan? I'll be taking a closer look at the uh, new Afghanistan strategy that President Trump unveiled uh, in his big primetime speech on Monday, and I'm going to see how it sizes up against uh, Senator McCain's. Yvonne? Governor Ducey had a car ride with Vice President Pence and Trump. What did they talk about? We'll try to find out. Oh, that's so dishy. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. And you can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm Dan Nowicki, at Dan Nowicki, just like my byline. And I'm at Yvonne Winget. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Kayla White, Hannah Gaber, and Manny Lozano. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. We'll see you next week.